Hi folks, this is Jack Spirigo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridgeline from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is uh, Thursday, November 3rd, 2011. This is episode 777. Kind of cool, huh? We have 111111 coming up for a date, but this is episode 777. This should be the perfect episode, because 7 is supposed to be the perfect number. Well, I got the perfect guest for you uh, hanging on the line right now. Stephen Harris, one of our most popular guests of all time. He's back again to talk about alcohol fuel and all of the questions that came up after the last episode we did on that and some new exciting research he's done in alcohol fuels, some stuff that I think is really going to blow you away. Before I bring him on, though, let's go ahead and uh, take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, as always, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, ready-made resources. What more can you ask for from a company than for their name to be what they do and for them to do what they say they do? That's what ready-made does. All the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready to go on their website, point, click, buy, deliver to you. Great pricing, great service. Hey, what more could you ask for? Also, a great supporter of the show. They've given away an AR-15 upper, valued at 900 bucks. They gave away an AR-7 survival rifle. Robert's already asking what he can do for you guys next. Great sponsor. So, hey, consider giving them some of your business the next time you're adding to your preparedness. Uh, next up today, BulkAmmo.com. Remember, your guns are nothing but overpriced, expensive clubs, unless you have ammunition to go in them, and unless you have enough ammunition to routinely practice and use them so that you're competent with them. Those are two things that are very important. So you need lots of ammo. You know, I always laugh when I hear some news report where they go, and we caught this person, and he had over a thousand rounds of ammo. And it turns out he had like two bricks of twenty twos. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having bulk ammo. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. I do. You should, too. I consider it the third precious metal, copper-jacketed lead. Best place I know to get it, BulkAmmo.com. Lightning-fast shipping, absolutely great service, amazing pricing, BulkAmmo.com. Check them out. Next up, remember, you can connect with me, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And we are now featured on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. That is available at PrepperPodcast.com. Dot com, lots of other great podcasters over there. We are aired Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 o'clock Central Time, I believe. You can check the schedule again at PrepperPodcast.com. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, and if you are military, law enforcement, active duty, or prior service, please uh, give me an email before you join. I'll give you a special national service discount. I'll leave it at that today. I wanna, we're going to go long. I know it's Steve, so I want to wrap the housekeeping up quickly. One more quick thing, though, before I bring Stephen on the line, though. Uh, I'm planning a show for someday next week on paleo. Uh, and then the week after, I have a Ph.D. coming on named Greg Ellis. It's, his thing is really not paleo. It's simply low-carb, high-protein, high-fat diet. And why that's actually the safe way to live. But I'm asking for your questions on paleo. I put out uh, a thing on the blog asking for it, an article. I'll put a link in today's show notes so you can see that if you haven't. 
This is what I'm asking you to do. Email me. Don't comment your question. Please, when I put out a post that says, email me your questions, and you put your question in the blog, it messes the whole system up, right? Email jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. The word in the subject line, paleo. Any of your questions about low-carb eating, paleo lifestyle, high-protein, your concerns, your results from doing it yourself, whatever, email that to me. And what I'm going to do in the first show, I'm going to take the stuff that's easy for me to answer, the softballs. I'm going to take the stuff that's highly scientific, and I'm going to take it to uh, uh, Dr. Greg Ellis. When he comes on, he'll be on on the 16th is when that show will air. And I'm going to pose those questions to him, not so much from a paleo, just from a flat-out protein versus carb style of living, especially when we get in things like ketosis and ketoacidosis, uh, AGEs and things like that that are more scientific because the guy is switched on smart. So if you want your questions answered about high-carb high versus low-carb, high-protein versus low-protein, you know, low paleo lifestyle, my results from it, what I've meant by anything I've said that you're confused about, Email me, paleo in the subject line. Get it to me before the weekend's up because the show's probably going to go out on like Wednesday next week, but I'll probably record it on Monday. All right, with that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up. Let's get into the main topic of today's show. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we're fortunate to have back with us today again Mr. Stephen Harris, one of our all-time favorite guests. And I think I can say safely now, uh, the record number of, of return appearances. I don't think I've ever had anybody, Steve, on the show as many times as you, and that's a testament to how much the audience loves you. So welcome back to the show again. Oh, thanks, Jack. I mean, I just love it. I mean, I love the way your audience responds. I love how they're just like a sponge and they suck up the information. I mean, it really, it, it makes you realize why some people teach. It's because... It's an appreciation for the students and what the students do, and they come back with the questions. They engage you. They email me. You guys email me all the time. I answer the questions, and it's really a privilege to work with you and with your audience, and that's why I've done it. And that's why I've literally put over a 100 hours in the lab since the last time I talked to you just to bring you the stuff for this episode. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I want everybody to make sure um – that they go by your site, which, uh, which where you have all this stuff, and that's imakemygas.com, right? Yeah, yeah, just like it sounds, imakemygas.com. And there will be a link to that and my other stuff at my normal show website of solar1234.com. It will have the show notes. It will have links to everything I spoke about. It will have links to imakemygas. imakemygas.com has a new 20-minute video at the very top of it that shows you step-by-step step how to make an alcohol wash with sugar and yeast, how to ferment it, how to distill it, how to distill it multiple times, and how to purify that alcohol to run as a fuel at, with gasoline in your vehicle without modification. And we'll talk later on in the show about running it as pure alcohol in your vehicle as 100% fuel that you've made yourself. Awesome, awesome. So what I want to start out with is last time you were here, you had that site set up, and you set up this little cool this, this uh, little cool tabletop uh, still. Yeah. I have one. You sent me one. Thanks for that. Uh, I was mentioning to you before we got on the air today, I'm going to probably ferment my first batch of wash uh, over this weekend. I've had my fermenters tied up with making beer because it's that time of year. Um, but uh, one of the big things that a lot of people came back to me with at that after that episode was, well, it's kind of small, you know, you're, you're, you're distilling maybe a gallon of wash at a time. By the time you put a four gallon, five gallon pail of wash through there, you end up with about a gallon of alcohol. Does it make sense to, to do this on such a small scale? 
Yes, and to tell you the truth, I've run big stills. I have a 55-gallon still with a 24-to-1 ratio column. It's about 7 feet tall. That makes 192-proof first pass. And let me tell you, I've, I've done alcohol distillation with propane burners and everything. This still is automated, okay? It's a gallon at a time, but... That's not a big problem because you're fermenting five or ten gallons at a time. So you pour in your wash. Now, wash is what you ferment. It's 11 to 14 percent or 11 to 18 percent alcohol. And you pour it into it and you put the top onto it. It's like a, it looks like a coffee maker, but it's not a coffee maker. And it doesn't require any water for cooling like a big still does. And it doesn't require any babysitting. And a regular still, you gotta babysit the thing. You gotta watch your heat input. You gotta watch the column temperature. You gotta watch the proof of the alcohol coming out. I mean, if, if you, the temperature of the room changes because of your propane stove, then you've just changed what's called the distillation zone in the tower and then your proof has changed and you get I mean just just babysit, 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 babysit. That's what regular traditional alcohol fuel making is. I put an eight dollar timer on this thing from Walmart and I set it for three hours and twenty five minutes. Actually I set it from twelve oh five to three thirty five or three thirty. And I say turn on and then turn off. And what I do is I put the wash in, put the top on the still, set the timer and I walk away. And you can do that in the morning before you go to work. And when you come back, you've got about a quarter to a half gallon of wash, of not wash, but distillate sitting there. And you pour that into a jug. And then you pour in an, another gallon of wash, and you set the thing to distill again when you get home. And it distills it again in about two and a half to three and a half hours, depending upon your percentage of alcohol. And then before you go to bed, you set it again. So in one day, you have now distilled out three gallons of wash into about half a gallon to a gallon of distillate. And you just keep on doing this on a regular basis because you don't have to babysit it, and it gets you your distilled ethanol. Now, as you'll see in the video, we take what we've distilled, and we distill it again, and we distill it again, and then we distill it a fourth time. And this, by an automated process, lets you get up to 100 and 80 proof, 90 to 92% ethanol alcohol. And it's all automated, no babysitting, no tower watching, and it's a lot less of an investment. I mean, my tower alone cost me $650 for a stainless steel 24 to 1 ratio column. And then there's the packing and, and saddle rings that go into it. And then there's the heaters for the, the drum and everything. I mean, this it does two things. One, it works on an automated basis to make a decent amount of alcohol. The second thing it does to you is it proves to you that it works. You've done it, okay? And to say that you've done it is, you know, to say that you finished a 5K race is a lot better than someone who says, well, I'm going to run a marathon someday, okay? You... <laughs> You, yeah. you, you've actually done it. You made the wash. Yeah. You fermented it. You kept it at the right temperature. You got an alcohol yield. You put it into the still. You turned on the still. You got your distillate out. And then not only did you get your distillate out, but you purified it up to a level good enough to be mixed with gasoline to actually run in a vehicle. And then you actually put some of it into the vehicle and you ran it. And it's like, I've done it, okay? And once you max out the still or... <clears throat> 
you can run two or three of the stills at the same time and still be cheaper than a, a tower. Might I add, and, probably on one timer. On, yeah, on one, <laughs> right. on one timer. The still, <laughs> the still only draws 320 watts max, and the timer is 1500 watts. So you could run four stills on one timer, and it would just work absolutely beautifully. I'd never thought of that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, it's a $122 timer. It can run four of your stills. My other thing is, like, what you're saying here to me, and this is how I always saw this. I didn't see this product when you when you brought it out for us as, okay, I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to run my car on it for the rest of my life, and, and 50-50 mixture, whatever, unless you don't drive very much. I guess you could. It was more like a way to learn and develop and get an entry point. Like I tell people to garden when people say, well, I don't really know what to do. I say like throw a four foot by four foot garden in and plant some annual vegetables that you like to eat and grow them and eat them. It's the same thing. It proves to you it can be done. Now, because I know what happens, then there's going to be like five more of those in your yard. And now you actually are producing some level, uh, some percentage of food sustainability for yourself, some self-sufficiency. So to me, this is kind of a soft entry for people. You brought up an interesting point there. So another thing, though, that people were asking me about was, well, how much electricity does this take? So um, you just said it was, what, 320 watts a draw, so it's probably – Somewhere around 50 cents to do a batch? It'd be about 50 cents to get to a, uh, 180 proof gallon of, uh, of ethanol, yeah. So, depends if you live in Socialist California where they've inflated their electricity rate with taxes, you know, probably dollars worth of electricity. If you're, um, in the Midwest, it's probably going to be around 50 cents worth of electricity. And to make another analogy to what you said about this being the thing that gets you started, I call this little coffee pot type of still, I call it our gateway drug. This is what gets you started into making ethanol alcohol. It's the one that gets you addicted to it. It's the one that you say, I like doing this. I'm making my own fuel. And then you can really make a very intelligent decision on to what is the next level of still that I want to work with. And, of course, what's the next level of free material I'll be getting that I'll be making my ethanol with as well. But yeah, to answer the question about 320 watts, and it's running for three hours at a time. So it will, by the time you do all the different distillations, you're going to be looking at 50 cents to a dollar for a gallon of final result that comes out. Here's another question we've got a lot, and I think you've actually, because... I brought this to you from a guy that was a chemist initially, and a lot of people ask the same thing. You've done some research, like hours and hours of research on this, and I think you're going to be able to tell people something in response to this that they've probably never heard before. Uh, it's about the fuel mixtures, and won't the gas and the fuel, the alcohol fuel and the gasoline, separate in the tank, and how do you combat that? Well, there's something called um, a ternary chart. And if you look at the ternary chart and I make my gas and you look at some of the other stuff, and it's a triangle chart and it's really kind of confusing how they work. And if you look at them, it says that 90% ethanol should mix 50-50 and or any ratio with gasoline. If you mix ethanol with too much water in it with gasoline, it won't fully dissolve in the gasoline or actually the gasoline won't fully dissolve in the alcohol and water and you get a separation, and you can see the separation. I show it to you in the video that's on the top of imakemygas.com. I show you what happens. Now, everything says that 180 proof or 90% alcohol should mix perfectly, and 
before I tell people to do this, I always have to do it myself. And I knew it was going to work. I just knew it. So I went on my lab bench, got my graduated cylinders, got everything out, got some gasoline, made some 180 proof, 90% alcohol, and mixed them together. And the darn things didn't mix. They only partially mixed. They separated. So you dig further and dig further, and, and you look at the charts again. You get out the ternary diagram for Idiot's book, and you figure out how to read the diagram. And sure enough, it doesn't mix. So I have come up. The still will only produce 90 to 92% ethanol. I have come up with two methods, okay? One is a Steve Harris method of allowing you to mix what you make 100% with gasoline, with no separations at all. And the second method is an industry-proven method of using uh, zeolite, which is basically it looks like little ceramic beads. You pour it into the ethanol. It absorbs up the water. It makes it 95% or up to 99.8%. And I also show you in the video me mixing 95% ethanol with gasoline. It is an industry-accepted proven norm that I have redocumented in the video that's on the top of imakemygas.com that 95%, 190 proof ethanol will mix in any ratio with gasoline without separation. And it does. I show you to you with 50-50, you know, different ratios. I show it to you in the graduated cylinder. It's completely, fully, homogeneously mixed. There's no problems with it. So the answer is you got to have 95% ethanol, which is 190 proof, the other 5% is water, it will mix in any ratio with gasoline, and you can use that in your vehicle, and I show you two different ways to get your 90% out of your still up to the 95 or 100% so that it mixes perfectly. So, I mean, that was a great question from the chemist. I knew the answer. I knew what I thought was the answer. I went and double-checked. I found out that I was wrong, and then I found out the right answer and the real answer, and I repeated it on my chemistry bench multiple times, and then I showed it to you in the video to prove it to you. So the key is we've got to get to at least a 95% alcohol concentration. Yes, and then you can mix it in any ratio with gasoline, and so you'll want to mix it 50-50 with gasoline and then use it in your vehicle. Very cool. So I've got some questions on like other applications, other vehicles. One guy says, um, are there other applications, for instance, could you mix the alcohol with gas and burn it in your old-school Coleman stove, or could you make a gel, gelled alcohol product? Um, technically, the way a Coleman stove works, yes, it would work in a Coleman stove. Although a Coleman stove uses so little fuel, I can't think of why you would want to go through the trouble. But sure, it would work in it. In fact, uh, pure ethanol should work in it just perfectly as well. And yes, you can use everything that I just described, the alcohol, to make a gelled alcohol product. There's documentation on the net on how to make the gelled alcohol. You add one chemical to it. I think it's a silicate. I forgot what it was. And it, it gels it. And then you can use it as 
a stove fuel. You can use liquid alcohol as a stove fuel, or you can use gelled alcohol as a stove fuel. But, yes, you could use it in either one of those situations. And a gelled product also would be good to be carried in a small container as, like, a wilderness survival fire starting aid. That's probably what made that person think that way, because we have a lot of people from that world to listen to the show. My other observation, though, is what this would be absolutely great to burn in is a lot of us build these little, and you can buy, like, Trangia makes them as well, these little alcohol stoves that are designed to burn pure alcohol. Uh, we actually make them out of the bottom of soda cans. So you yeah, soda can, yeah. you can put it together, you put a hole in them, like call them a penny stove, and you put a bunch of holes around it, and it would burn, I mean, just straight out of the, you're, you're, you're 90, uh, you're 90% stuff straight out of the still without the zeolite factor or whatever just dumped in there would burn beautifully. Yes, it would. It would burn just absolutely wonderfully. In fact, uh, if you get a kit for your car, that holds the injectors open, and I have a kit that I'm going to get, and I am going to photo document and show to you. I mean, I've seen the kit. I love the kit. I've talked to the manufacturer, but I'm not going to start selling it until I put it on my own vehicle and documenting it. But you can actually use 180-proof, 90% ethanol with the kit in your car, for straight alcohol. You can't do it in a regular car. you got to have this little kit in it that holds the injectors open a little bit longer. And if you really want to be daring, uh, there is lots of documentation of people using 80% or 160 proof as straight fuel in their vehicle. And 160 proof is a lot quicker and easier to make. With that modification, though, holding the injectors open, what have you, on a vehicle like that, once you've done that, is it kind of an on-off switch, or is it something you, that you're, you're, you're running alcohol fuel only in there now? What would happen if you put gas into that vehicle? Uh, nothing. What you do is you, you open up the module and you turn the – there's a, a potentiometer between 0 and 10. I got you. 0 being pure gas, 10 being 100% ethanol. And you just If you fill it with pure gas, you just turn it back down to 1 or 0, and you run on pure gasoline. So it's just basically all that's doing. If that's like your little control, how long do my injectors stay open? It probably microseconds or something like that. Yes, exactly. It adds uh, a few more pulses to it because ethanol is a little bit less dense than gasoline, and it has a different fuel-to-air ratio, so you got to let a little bit more of it in. But it works fine. This is fuel-injected vehicles only. I'm not going to cover carbureted vehicles. That's a whole nother ballywick. And this is yeah. for 19, 1989, sorry, 1983 vehicles or or newer. With fuel injection. Okay. Um, next question. So somebody said, can I, could somebody verify what I just think I heard? Is Steve saying that even if my truck is not E85 branded, he has a 98 Explorer, 5-liter gas uh, motor, Got it can it. still run a 50-50 mix of E85 and gasoline. So it's not making his own. It's just using E85 that's out there. He says E85 is considerably cheaper right up the road from my place. So if I heard this correct, it would ease some of my fill-up pain. Uh, and if I do that, do I need to run higher octane gasoline, or will flat 89 be fine if I use that mix? Flat 89 will work. Yes, it'll work in your 1998 Ford Explorer. I've done this in numerous vehicles myself. David Bloom has been doing it for 30 years or more in different vehicles. It's fully documented in the book that we sell called Alcohol Can Be a Gas, written by David Bloom. It's on imakemygas.com. Links on solar1234.com. But, uh, yes, you can do it. And now the question is, does it get cheaper? That's the big question. Because how much cheaper is that E85 that you're buying? Alcohol has less energy per unit of volume than gasoline does. 
um, it's about 80% of the value of gasoline on a BTU basis. So it's got 80% of the energy, but takes up the same amount of space. So the question is, do you get an advantage? Well, ethanol alcohol is an octane booster. So some vehicles, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't need to put 89 octane in it. You've already ran the octane up above, uh, you don't need to put high octane in because the alcohol has already run the octane up to 92, 94, 96, or 98. So you may get because it's, it's an octane booster. So you get, in some vehicles, you get better performance. You get better efficiency because of the higher octane number so you do get a, a, a break even or a fuel economy uh, savings depending upon the vehicle I know people with flex fuel vehicles and they say I get 14 miles per gallon on gasoline and I get 9 miles per gallon on E85 why do I want to run the E85 it's not worth it Sure, it, it, it depends upon the vehicle you can also look at all the dollars on your E85 that you're buying is staying in America, whereas the dollars you spend on the gasoline is going to the ragheads in Saudi Arabia that hate us, or Venezuela, and the money is going out of the country. So there's an economic way of looking at it. There's a way of looking at it where you do get a fuel economy benefit, and there's a way of looking at it where you're not getting a fuel economy benefit from it. But 1983 or newer fuel-injected vehicle, you can start start off with a 30-70 mix, 30% alcohol, 30% E85, 70% gasoline. Okay, it runs fine, my vehicle. It doesn't stutter or, or, or there's there's no issues. It doesn't run rough. If it did, all you do is just put in some more gasoline. And then you go to 40-60, and then you go to 50-50. You don't go any higher than 50-50. Sure. And I've not had any problems running 50-50. In fact, in the uh, rented Ford Focus I had, uh, it just ran like a jackrabbit. I mean, it just took that octane boost, and it really just uh, – it was really a peppy little car when I was uh, driving it on E85 and gasoline, and it was not a flex-fuel vehicle. That's awesome. And I think a lot of times you're probably going to get the bigger boost in those smaller, more inherently efficient vehicles to begin with rather than trying to run it in a, a big, you know, eight-cylinder. I, I guess the thing is zero your odometer, your trip odometer, do some math and determine whether it works for you and decide where you want your money to go. Exactly. Do it yourself. Don't believe a thing I said. I told you <laughs> I told you how to repeat the experiment. And yeah. You know, do it yourself and see if it works. The guy I know who said I get 14 with gas and nine on uh, E85 in my flex fuel GMC pickup truck was driving a pickup truck. Of course, he might have had his foot in the carburetor, you know, in the floorboard all the time. He drives hard like a son of a bitch all the time, and so he he might have been taking his performance increase with the with the ethanol and just turning it turning into, it into horsepower instead turn of it, miles turn it into tire dust yeah yeah i mean your fuel economy is really dictated by your foot you know that's a great point steve when you increase performance in a vehicle there's two places it could go. It can go to raw horsepower acceleration or it can go into long-term uh efficiency and it's yeah. up to us to determine that. So it might be driving habits as well. That's that's pretty interesting. Back to making our own fuel, though. You mentioned last time you got like a truckload of bread for free. Like you filled the back of a truck up. Uh, when when you're making uh, you know ethanol from bread, how much does it take to make, let's say, ten gallons of fuel or that truckload you said you got on the podcast? How much fuel would that make? Well, the easy answer is you need twice as much bread or starch 
as you would of sugar. So in the video on imakemygas.com, I show you starting out with 10 pounds of sugar, and it's going to make about half a gallon of 180 proof 90% ethanol. So if I did that with 10 pounds of sugar, you would need about 20 pounds of bread. Sure. Because you, and it's a simple conversion of starch over to glucose, and the, both of them are real close to each other in, in formulations. In fact, starch is sugar. It's a polysaccharide. It's, it, starch is a chain of sugars joined together that's a thousand or two thousand sugars long. Correct, and the, 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 the brewing process or the uh, the uh, mashing process is basically breaking that starch into simple sugars. That's that's all it really is. Right, and the enzymes from your barley malt, or the enzymes from the uh, alpha amylase or the glucoamylase that you add as an enzyme at different temperatures with the starch is what breaks down those long chain starches into short chain and single chains, which are called monosaccharides, which is what you ferment. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I'm, I'm going to give a side note here just to stab at some people out there because I've been talking about the eating this paleo way for a while. And what you just heard is that in 10 pounds or uh, 20 pounds of bread, there's 10 pounds of sugar. That's why I think the way I do about nutrition. But I don't want to go too far off of there, but it's interesting to get that stat from a totally different place. Steve, I do have a question for you of my own. Um, when we were on and we were talking about using, you know, table sugar, and you were talking about using just the plain old um, regular yeast, like a champagne yeast or something like that, I had brought up distiller's yeast, and distiller's yeast in some situations can handle alcohol tolerances of 18 to 22% or higher, and you said, well, start out with these simpler yeasts. Is there any reason for that? Because yeast, to me, you pitch it, it, it does its thing. It's, it's not like the distiller's yeast is a lot more expensive, or is it just that with that amount of sugar starch base, that 14% range is about all you're going to get anyway. No, I say start with bread yeast. Actually, bread yeast by the packet is more expensive than champagne yeast or brewer's yeast. And I say start with bread yeast just because you can get it in your local store at Walmart or Kroger's or Piggly Wiggly or wherever you are. You can get it in your local store and you can start with it today. And I want you to start with something today rather than start with something tomorrow. Uh, my favorite yeast to use is an 18% turbo yeast. It has the nutrients in it and everything, and it does in two days what it takes normally seven to ten days to do with a regular yeast. That's because I'm impatient, and I want to get my stuff done a lot quicker, and I have a shorter experiment cycle that way. Um, no, brewer's yeast works fine. Brewer's yeast works fabulous. Um any beer supply store will have all the yeast you could want. You can start with an 18% champagne yeast. And, for example, the 23% yeast, um, the higher percentage of 22 and 23%, you have to ferment those with dextrose or glucose. Dextrose and glucose are interchangeably. They're the same thing. They're, they're both glucose, a C6 sugar. Sucrose is half fructose, half glucose. And when you mentioned the paleo diet and you mentioned eating starch and bread, everything you eat either gets broken down into glucose or goes out through your colon. Your entire body runs on glucose. Everything living in this world 
runs on glucose. Well, I'm going to stop you there because we're not going to go there. Uh, I'm going to send you an ebook to read after this episode called The Glycation Factor, uh, written by a PhD, where I'm going to show you that's absolutely not the case. Okay. The body does intake and burn fat, but let's 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 not. Go. Oh yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Does, yeah absolutely, sure. will take fat and burn fat as fat without a conversion to glucose. Flat. So we we okay. There we go. So we're we're actually good on that. Let's let's keep running that. I, I so so. Anyways, so when you ferment sucrose, your your sucrose is a C6 sugar. It's half glucose, half fructose, which is C6 sugar. And when you uh, ferment with the 22 or 23 percent yeast, you got to use glucose. You can't use something that has sucrose or, or thus fructose in it. So if you change your starches over your bread, you actually get glucose. So you can use a 23% wash. If you just want to buy sugar and use a 23%, you actually have to buy dextrose, which you have to mail order. And it's so all expensive the, too. Yes, it is. About a buck a pound. And so the sugars that we're starting you off with, which is Walmart sugar, sucrose, it will ferment with bread yeast, it'll ferment with brewer's yeast, it'll ferment with champagne yeast just absolutely perfectly. Because the only reason I'm asking that is my thought is if I can push 18% instead of 14%, well, I've got 4% more in my yield. Yeah, it works a lot better. And, in fact, uh, the higher the alcohol percentage in your wash, the longer the still runs for. I said you got to set the timer. Uh, yeah. The way you set your timer is you watch your output. And when your output finally goes down to either 20% coming out of the pipe or your your entire batch of distillate equals 40%, that's when you stop your timer. Gotcha. Because it'll start coming out at 65, then 60, then 55, then 50. And so when your entire wash, when you just take your wash, your wash, your distillate, you just take your distillate, and as it's distilling, you pour it into the into the cylinder, and you put the hydrometer in. Hydrometer floats to the level and tells you the level of alcohol. When that hits 40, that's your stop time. Gotcha. So, so now you know where to set your timer for your second gallon, your third gallon, your fourth gallon, your fifth gallon, your sixth gallon, and you can just set the timer and just let, let that thing run automated. And I guess that would mean that your subsequent distillations would each take longer? Yes. the higher you have the, a higher alcohol content to start with. The higher of the alcohol content of the initial wash, the longer it takes. Now, when you have your 40 to 50% and you're going to redistill it again to 80%, yeah. it goes very quickly. I mean, okay. it's, it's 45 minutes to an hour and it's all come over. And then we, so that's what we're doing. We're distilling from 14 to 40 to 50. Then we're distilling from 40 to 50 to 80. Yeah. And we're distilling from 80 to 89. And then we're distilling once again from 89 up to about 92. And then we're treating it with a little bit of zeolite to get it above 95. And then we're mixing it with gasoline and putting it in our vehicle. Okay, great. When we put it in our vehicle, one person says here, and I think this is just more FUD, but you tell me, ethanol is a decent solvent, and so in older cars it can cause crud. The technical term that stuck in fuel lines and tanks could be released into the fuel system. Watch your filters, carb jets, if you switch to a higher percentage of ethanol. Well, what do you think benzene and toluene are? <laughs> and, I mean, those are what's make up gasoline is a fabulous solvent. I mean, if you got crud on your hands, just go and put some gasoline on your hands and it'll wash off real good. 
I mean, it's just not a good idea to do it because gasoline contains benzene, and benzene is a very known carcinogen. So gasoline in itself is a solvent, and ethanol is what's called a polar solvent. So, no, there's really not crud and stuff in there that's going to get washed out with ethanol and clean it up, and we're not even addressing carb jets. We're only addressing using ethanol, gasoline, fuel mixtures, and fuel-injected vehicles. Injected vehicles. Cool. That's, that's kind of what I thought, too. And, I mean, my other thought is don't people buy really expensive stuff to dump into the fuel system that's supposed to clean it? And isn't that basically what it's supposed to be doing? Yeah, the stuff you put into your fuel line to clean it out or to absorb water is either going to be ethanol or methanol. And it's, it's called it's called heat, and it's on the store the shelf of Walmart or AutoZone or Advanced Auto. And it's most of those clean-out chemicals are just ethanol. Why do you think there's so much like this out there, so much FUD around the whole concept? Is it is it just a misunderstanding? Because I believed it all because I heard it all until I t- started talking to you and learning from you. Uh, is it is it being done by corporate apparatus that just don't want this to happen as like a saboteur thing, or is it just misinformation because people don't know enough yet? Benjamin Franklin said it the best. No one ever lost a nickel underestimating the intelligence of the American people. (laughs) I mean, myth, myth, myth and rumor prevail in almost any industry. I mean, from, knitting needles and yarn all the way up to brewing beer to making alcohol to hydrogen. We are just dominated by myths that are just put out by people who don't know what they're doing. And see, most of the time, these things come from people who have never done a thing in their life. They've never done it. So the second they mention something to you like, oh, I'm going to do this, and you say this to the person who's never done anything, they immediately come up with the reasons of why you should never do it either. Oh, that's stupid. It'll do this. It'll do that. And that's where most of these myths and things come from, is they come from people who have never done a thing or they've never... Sorry about that. That was my cat knocking over my briefcase. Um, no, you cannot eat the microphone cable again, Herbert. It sounded like you just shot somebody. No, the, <laughs> my, my, my case just fell over. Anyways... Uh- most of these things of why you can't do things and what they do are bad come from people who have never done anything. Always ask advice from people who are much more successful than you. Don't go ask the bum on the corner, you know, what to do about, you know, starting a job and being an entrepreneur. Don't go ask the guy who's worked for 30 years for one company about what you want to do with your future and your career as far as starting the business and being an entrepreneur and doing something new. They won't give you the advice. Go find an independent person who has been successful and you ask them for their advice. Ask a millionaire. Ask the 1%. Ask, you know, someone who is in the, in the industry that you want to go into who is successful about what you want to do. And I am telling you everything here I've done. And I not only am I telling you I've done it, I show it to you on the video. Awesome. So here, how about this one? Uh, next question was, how about mixing alcohol with kerosene and using that in a kerosene heater? Will that work? I could see powering the distiller with solar all summer long and storing the alcohol for later use and heating in the winter. Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking, but you want to elaborate? Just use the kerosene in the kerosene heater. Um, 
No, just use kerosene in, in the kerosene heater. In fact, uh, people many times think that ethanol is a real clean burning fuel and doesn't give off any carbon monoxide. Guarantee you, if you go start your ethanol stove inside and you have your carbon monoxide uh, meter going, it'll start reading. It'll, its numbers will start moving up. I have run inside my house, of course, natural gas stove, propane stove. I've run Coleman fuel stoves inside on the kitchen table, and I sat there and looked at the carbon monoxide meter six feet six feet away. They never moved. They never budged. The second I fired up the alcohol stove, I got readings on that carbon monoxide meter. So I would not, I would not, your little penny stove might be not putting out enough CO to make a difference in a house. If you were in a closed environment, it would. Uh, a larger maritime alcohol stove, I would not run inside of your house. Uh, A boat is generally not a, generally a very closed situation. Um, I will say this, though. The second part of that about using solar, I think if, like your book, Sunshine of Dollars, you talk about getting free solar panels. So I could actually see building a solar system that would run one of these stills. It's not that high of a draw. Yeah, I'm not always the biggest fan of solar PV anyway. I know you're not. but <laughs> um, Yeah, you could technically do it. As far as doing what's called solar distillation with solar heat, it's very difficult if you're going to make a solar distiller because of the way solar heat is variable, it's cosinal, uh, it varies with clouds, and a, a, a still generally needs a constant heat input into it because of the of the um, reflex zone within the condenser. It'll move up and down based upon the ambient temperature and the temperature of the pot. So I, uh, being the very big solar advocate I am and an expert in solar heat of all types, I wouldn't use solar to distill alcohol. Although I do have a really neat chemical way I'm working on of uh, getting alcohol out of the wash up to 200 proof with no still, and you regenerate your chemicals that you use with solar heat. Now, that's a completely separate subject, but uh, that's how you would be able to use solar to to do it, but uh, not for the distillation, no. Okay. And, and not with kerosene. Don't mix your alcohol <laughs> with your kerosene. Just use kerosene. Next question. Okay. Uh, if you're mixing E85 and gas in your tank, would it be better to put the E85 in first or the gas to mix it up best? I'd put the gas in first. That way you always know you're going to have 50% or more of gasoline. If you had an empty tank and you put in all E85 and then you went to start up your car to drive to the next pump to put in the gasoline, you're going to be running all E85 in a vehicle that's a non-flex fuel vehicle and you may have some, it might cough or stutter or um, not run as smoothly. So you put the gasoline in and put a half tank or a little bit more in and then put in the E85 and then drive off. It'll mix up instantaneously. And that way you're guaranteed to have a 50-50 mix of gasoline and E85. Excellent, excellent. So you met last time you were on, you mentioned about doing this distillation that you needed a permit. And somebody here is asking, is there info on how to apply for a permit if you don't have a business? Well, one, it's easier to get the permit as an individual. It's you got to go to ttb.gov, and I'll put a link to it on solar1234.com. 
Uh, it's tango tango bravo dot gov. You apply to them uh, on a paper permit that you mail in, and you can get a permit for free for from them to make up to ten thousand gallons of fuel ethanol a year. And you got to have that permit to make fuel ethanol. And then you have to poison it with 2% of gasoline so that it's not something that can be drunk or mixed into a drink, etc. And it smells bad and it tastes bad and you won't want to drink it. And if you did drink it, you'd poison yourself. So um, it's a permit to make it. There's no taxes on it. And that's the whole thing about getting a, if you make alcohol to drink and get it a distiller's license and everything else, the government wants their taxes on it, which is like $40 a gallon, which is what the Tax and Trade Bureau for alcohol, TTB, uh, does. Oh, and if you have a business, you have to get permission from the people you are leasing the business from. If you're an industrial park like I am, you have to get permission from them on the form to TTB in order to get the the permit from them to distill the ethanol on your facility. I got you. So that's if you're renting from somebody. Uh, if you're renting, if you're renting from someone, yes. Okay. It is not illegal to own the still. Uh, it is not illegal to use the still to distill water or essential oils or flavors. Uh, you do need the permit to distill ethanol fuel. Uh, in places like New Zealand, you don't need a permit at all to make fuel or to make alcohol to drink because this is the same type of this. It's a moonshine still is what it is. And what you're driving on is really highly refined moonshine. Yeah, so I'll bump up one of our questions then because this came in from Jetta out of Wyoming. And he says, uh, a little tongue-in-cheek, I guess, so if you had an accident and a shot of the distilled fuel finds its way into your mouth, you'd still be safe, right? Yeah, you'd still be safe, except remember we're talking about making – oops, I lost audio. I've got you. I hear okay. you. Okay, sorry. It just it went down like crazy. Okay. Um, the way you make Grey Goose vodka and these higher triple distilled top shelf vodkas is you distill your vodka, you distill your alcohol three times. Thus it's, it's triple distilled. We, what I'm showing you in the video is actually quadruple distilled. And then they take their high proof, 180 proof, 190 proof alcohol and they dilute it with just pure distilled water back down to 80 proof. And then they run it through a carbon filter, like the zero water, filter, zero water carbon filter you get from Walmart or Target. You run it through there about five or six times, just like Mythbusters did, and you produce the best top-shelf vodka that there is. And that is if you're in New Zealand, and it's, it's legal there for you to distill your own spirits. I imagine if you're in Somalia or Kenya or Nigeria that, there's probably not much law enforcement on the subject there either. So, yeah, you'd be just fine. But that is for informational purposes only at the current time in That's the United right. States. Um, next question comes in and says, uh, the one gas-powered tool that I need more than any other, including a vehicle, is a chainsaw. So how about setting up a two-cycle engine to do this? That is documented very well in the book, Alcohol Can Be a Gas. Um Dave goes over it 
extensively, and the book is on the uh, middle section of the website, imakemygas.com. It's also on my main website, ush2.com. It's that, this is a 600 page book that you dropped on your desk with a huge thud when I was on your radio show last time. And you, you take the ethanol and you mix it with the, uh, lubricant oil and it mixes very well. And sometimes you have to adjust, make an adjustment to run a little bit more fuel through the chainsaw. Sometimes you don't. But it works. You could get away with doing 50-50 mixture along with the lubricating oil, and it would work just fine. But all the iterations of it for all different two-cycle power tools and everything is covered in the book, I Make My Gas. And today, a lot of the modern chainsaws are four-cycle engines because California has basically outlawed two cycles. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I really didn't think about that. My, I've had my, uh, my Husqvarna for, I guess, five years now, uh, and those saws run forever, so I don't know if I'll ever replace it. But you're right, and the way I know that is that when I needed parts uh, for my saw, I went down to the store and was basically looking for this little screw that even the company couldn't tell me what kind of screw it was. So I figured I'd go down there and take one out and walk over to the hardware section and match it up with something, and it wasn't there anymore. And the whole saw had been completely redesigned. It's a completely different saw now, and it's running on a, the, the new ones are running on a four-cycle motor, at least the ones I was looking at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, it was. I'm not a big fan of laws that outlaw things, but tell you what, that one law really did a truly amazing thing for the advancement of four small four-cycle engines. Uh, because now we got all these little miniature four-cycle engines, and it's just great. You can use them as little power generators. There's things on websites about using uh, weed eater engines with an alternator for a power generator. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it's just really neat. They're small, they're inexpensive, they're mass-manufactured, and as an engine guy and a fuel guy, I think it's just great because a four-cycle engine runs off of fuel by far better than a two-cycle engine. A two-cycle engine was made for one reason, simplicity. It's much simpler, it's so much smaller, it's easier to manufacture, as a higher horsepower-to-weight ratio. Yeah, the weight's uh, a big thing. Yeah, weight's a big thing. Um except it just has a blue cloud that comes out of it all yeah. the time. I think the one place that it really kind of hurts performance to, to weight ratio the most for me is in outboard motors for, for boats with people that have small craft. And it's hard to get a motor that the, 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 cause there's a weight limit to what the boat can carry. Yep. And, and you go to a situation where like an old 15 horsepower outboard motor weighed like, 12 and a half pounds, the old ones like they put on the John boats and all. And yeah. now a, a five horsepower motor will weigh as much as, you know, uh, 50, 60 pounds. So yeah. small boats. Otherwise, I think it's, it's really actually been a re- really great thing. Yeah. Overall, from a technology viewpoint, it's been a big, a good thing. Let's look at putting a little diesel outboard on there. There we go. That'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, so here I got one for you. Um, Here's a softball. How about this one? Is the alcohol fuel created through this process stable for a long period of time, or must it be used more or less immediately? I know stable is offered for gasoline, but when I think of hard liquor like vodka, I tend toward thinking about nothing, nothing about whether it will degrade or not over time. Well, you can buy 200-year-old bottles of champagne, and they're just fine. 
does that pretty much answer the question for the guy? It's stable. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm it, 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 it doesn't need a stabilizer. It doesn't need anything. It's C2H5OH, and it wants to be C2H5OH all day long. I'm just thinking about the fact that I'm happy to pay uh, more for a bottle of 18-year-old scotch than I am for a bottle of 7-year-old scotch. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what says it all. I mean, yeah, I mean, right there. That, that's, I mean, if you took that 20 year old scotch and it was 40% alcohol, you took a bunch of it and you put it through the same still that's at imakemygas.com, uh, and you distilled it into pure ethanol, you would be running on your car on 20 year old scotch, 20 year old ethanol. So, no, I mean, it's incredible. Heaven forbid that, but I, ha- it would work. <laughs> Yeah, heaven forbid. It is incredibly stable. Okay, it is yeah. the definition of stable. And uh, it, it, if you if you had a fuel that you wanted to store for a long period of time, it definitely would be ethanol. Okay, next one here. I'm interested in modification for non-flex fuel fuel injected vehicles. Will a higher content of oxygenated ethanol fuel cause higher fuel use during? Are due to higher oxygen readings by the exhaust O2 sensors. It seems to me the entire man- engine management system would dump more fuel in until it sees the amount of oxygen within its parameters. That doesn't even make sense to me. I'm glad I've got a car engineer on the line here. And no, <laughs> uh, the uh, the alcohol is C2H5OH. And that's where you get the oxygenation is and from the O and the OH. It's also called C2H6O is another way of writing the fuel for alcohol. That O is never making it through the combustion chamber. That oxygen is going to combine with either the carbon or it's going to combine with the hydrogen and it is going to release its heat and it's going to be fully combined and the O2 sensor will never see it. It's not like it's free oxygen making it through the combustion chamber and the O2 sensor goes, oh no. You know, it doesn't work like that. You're in an 1800 degree environment in a combustion chamber compressed 14, 13 to 1 and you know, lots of explosion and, and heat and, and expanding vapors going on. It, it's not making it out. It's not making a difference. Got you. Um, another person here is ask, asking if you offer any literature on diesels. Making gas is fine, but he has a diesel truck. Now, what can he use in it and how can he make it? Second question, do you offer info on making a car run off methane? And last, is it possible to make a vehicle run off ethyl alcohol and methane, not at the same time, but one then switch to the other like ethyl in the gas tank and a pressurized tank in the trunk. Thanks for the info, Jack and Steve. Okay, let's take this one by one. First one, diesel and ethanol. There is some documentation of mixing 10% ethanol with diesel, and it's called uh, D10. (laughs) It should be D90, but it's called D10 for some reason. Uh, There's very little documentation. It was done by the EPA. It was done on some special vehicles, and they didn't care if they broke their fuel injector or they broke their engine. Uh, There is some other documentation of mixing 10% or 15% ethanol with biodiesel. Again, it's not extensive. Uh, It's supposed to work. I've not done it. I've not repeated it. I've not risked my $8,000 diesel engine, not truck, $8,000 engine. On it, so I can't give you a definitive answer on it, but right now the answer is pretty much a no. However, how do you use ethanol, alcohol, and diesel engine? 
Well, that's easy. The way you use it is the same way you use propane or natural gas in a diesel engine, and that is you inject it into the intake. You actually inject it as it goes, you know, air intake, air filter, turbocharger, intercooler, you know, near the radiator to cool down the compressed heated air. Then it goes from there up to the intake manifold. And then it goes into the engine. It's at the intake manifold portion where you tap and drill a hole to inject either propane or methane or natural gas into the vehicle. So it'll run on partial propane, partial methane, and some diesel fuel. This is done commercially to the point where you're only using 5 or 10% diesel fuel and the rest is methane or propane. And you can do the same thing with ethanol. You would mist the ethanol into the air intake. The ethanol would be brought in with the air into the diesel cylinder. The intake valve would close. It would compress it up to the top. It would get very hot in temperature. The diesel fuel would then be injected and ignite immediately in a high-temperature fuel-air mixture, and it would burn the alcohol or the methane, or the propane, making uh, expansion work and pushing the cylinder back down. So that is how you use ethanol in a diesel vehicle. Now, what were the other two questions? They were really good. Uh, yeah, the, the next one was, do, do you offer info on making a car run off of methane? Um. No, I don't have full documentation on a vehicle running off of methane. I have a pickup truck that I own that runs off of methane, propane. Uh, methane is also natural gas, and it runs off of any ratio of alcohol that you want to put into the tank. But I don't have full documentation on that. There are complexities involved. It's a real simple thing. I mean, it works beautifully. If you want to buy a $3,000 to $5,000 compressor to compress your methane into your tanks because there's not many natural gas fueling stations around anymore, and then you have to add the tanks. Now, I remember what you asked. There was a question about running gasoline, alcohol, and natural gas. Uh, the wonderful people at Fiat, you know, fix it again, uh, have a vehicle in Brazil. And it's only sold in Brazil, to my knowledge. I have pictures of it. It runs on, of course, Brazil's known for running off of ethanol. And this car will run off of any combination thereof of gasoline, ethanol, and natural gas at the same time. It has natural gas tank in the back of the vehicle. It will run off of natural gas by its own. It will run off of ethanol alcohol on its own. It will run off of pure gasoline. It'll run off of, of any mixture of gasoline and ethanol, and it'll run off of any combination at the same time, if you so desire, of gasoline, ethanol, and natural gas simultaneously. So all the technology is there for it to work. It will work. It can be made. It's being made today by Fiat. There is no reason why it can't be made by the car companies in this country. I would say anything that Fiat can do, Ford, Chevy, Chrysler, BMW, Mercedes, et cetera, should be able to do with their hands tied behind their back if they really wanted to. Well, Fiat owns Chrysler now. So. Uh, that's true, yeah. 
Daimler Fiat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Daimler. I was there during the Chrysler days and during the Daimler days. I left uh, two years after Germans came in. That was a cultural experience. But um, you can order a, a flex fuel. You can order a natural gas vehicle from Ford right now. You can go to your dealership and say, I want a natural gas car. I want a natural gas truck. It will come with either all natural gas or it will come with half gasoline and half natural gas. And you can run off of any combination. You can run off of one or the other. They can be ordered right now, but you got to have a natural gas fueling station near you. And uh, yeah, let me double-check on the website right away. I think it's C&G Prices. I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you all of the... There is a technology that that's being built with, with, that has like this fueling station that basically hooks up to the natural gas in your house. They're that's out of business. You feel, 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 oh, they're out of business. That didn't yeah. last long. No, they they were in business for a little while. Um, the website's called cngprices.com. It'll show you all the CNG stations in the United States. That's uh, Charlie November Golf Prices P R I C E S dot com. I'll put a link to it on solder one two three four dot com. The people who made the home natural gas compressor was called Fuel Maker. Uh, their website's gone. They're long out of business. They made two versions. They made one that cost like $6,000 and one that cost $8,500. Uh, the one that cost $6,000 would actually had a computer chip in it, and it would shut itself off permanently and forever after you ran it for 4,000 hours, which is really stupid. That, yeah. Um, no, they just they just went out of business. And for you know your knowledge... Driving on natural gas is like driving on, on 75 cent a gallon gasoline. I mean, that's how much I'm on CNG prices right now. And let's see, the price of natural gas in Oklahoma is, oh, it's up. It's a dollar. No, 78 cents. We can fill up right now in Oklahoma for the price equivalent of 78 cents a gallon of gasoline with natural gas. In uh, Texas, it's a buck thirty-nine. In Little Rock, it's a buck forty-four. In Birmingham, it's a buck thirty-seven. In uh, Michigan, it's a buck ninety-five. Eighty-eight cents in Wisconsin. And let's see California. Let's see how ridiculous they are. Um, <laughs> Who should be incentivizing this, by the way, based on that's that right. That's right. It's uh, two dollars and ninety cents, two dollars and forty-five cents in California. They're the ones that should be giving it away for free and everything else. Yeah, based on what they say they want. Yeah, natural gas is a natural gas is our fuel of the future. Okay, it is in such huge abundance. Not just in shale formations and what's called methane hydrates, which are off the coast of the, in, in the bottom of the ocean. The same way that methane has formed in underneath the ground of the land masses, it's formed underneath the ocean even ter- more tremendously. In fact, the, uh, the oil well problem in the Gulf of Mexico, when they put that great big top hat onto it to try to plug it, you heard about it got, it, it, floated up to the top because it got plugged up with methane hydrates. Methane hydrates or methane clathrates, they're a solid form of methane. It's like methane ice that happens underneath cold temperatures and high pressures, like at the bottom of the ocean 5,000 feet down. Sure. It's it's just laying there underneath the silt in the form of methane ice. I've read that there's a lot of that stuff. There's a couple lakes in Africa, freshwater lakes, where there's stuff sitting at the bottom of those. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's just temperature and pressure, okay? It wants to be, you know, cool down around 32 degrees, and you want to have 5,000 feet of water on top of you, and uh, it, it, it forms naturally over millennia. And I found it really funny that the fuel, our current fuel, and the problem we were having with it as the spill in the Gulf of Mexico, we couldn't stop it because the fuel of our future was plugging up the thing that we were trying to stop it with. Unbelievable. I, I found it as uh, as funny, but I guess it's only a weird sense of humor that I have. Natural gas is a fuel of the future. There is so much of it. It is... Uh, Tremendous amounts. We've not even begun to touch the methane clathrates. There's no one mining methane hydrates, methane clathrates right now. We have uh, offshore. In fact, there's so much methane in oil wells that they can't transport it that they flare it off. And that's where they're putting in liquefaction plants now on offshore oil rigs to liquefy the natural gas, to put it into a liquefied natural gas carrier, a bulk carrier that will then, then carry it to the United States or other places around the world. But we're a little bit off subject, but no, I'm I'm glad we're talking about that. Yeah, I mean that's cool. I'm glad we brought that up. Actually, I'd love to have you back on just maybe one day just for an opinion show about the future of natural gas. But we we are talking about alcohol today, and you said something earlier that just like it's got me really really interested. You said that you're on to a way now to take. I do my fermentation. I've got my 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 wash, and I'm going to distill it to basically turn that into. Almost 100% alcohol with no no real energy inputs, no distillation in the conventional sense. What what the heck are you talking about? Well, it takes energy input, but only to clean up what you're using at the very end so you can use it again. Uh, for example, uh, to get our ethanol from 90% up above 95 or all the way up to 100%, we use what's called a three-angstrom molecular sieve, which in another English term is called zeolite 3A, which is really specially formulated diatomaceous earth that's mixed with clay, baked in a kiln, and it's in the form of small ceramic beads that you hold in your hand. You, you drop this into the ethanol, that's 90%, and I show this on the video at the very top of imakemygas.com, and it absorbs the water into the, the the three angstrom holes are big enough that water can fit into it, but the ethanol can't. So that's why it, it, it adsorbs in the water and leaves the pure ethanol behind. Now that's from going to nine from ninety to one hundred percent or ninety to ninety five percent. I I have successfully used a few different other substances. And I've gone from 46 to 83%, then use the same substance again to go from 83 to 92%, and then I use the zeolite to go from 92 to 99.8%. And I just got in some uh, yeast to ferment a 23% wash, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the same chemical substance, which is pretty inert stuff, and I'm going to go from 23 to 80, then 80 to 90, and then use a zeolite to go from 90 to 100. And then you, you, you take your, your inert chemical, which is kind of like a powder, mixed in with the water that you have remain, and you throw it into your solar oven. 
and your solar oven drives off the water and leaves the powder behind, which you break up and then use it again to take to separate more of the water out from the alcohol water mixture, keep the alcohol, and then put the alcohol to the zeolite. So, um, and this is well, this solar heater is well documented in my famous book that everyone loves, my best-selling book, Sunshine the Dollars, which I'll put a link to at solar1234.com. Come to think of it, it's on imakemygas.com too. Um, and so then you use a solar oven to re- to dehydrate your zeolite. Now the zeolite needs to be baked in an oven of any type, solar, gas, electric. It needs to be baked in an, in an oven between 350 and 400 degrees Fahrenheit for about three hours, and it'll drive off the water that's been absorbed. And so you can use the zeolite for dehydrating the ethanol over and over and over and over and over and over. But I found another chemical, and it works really good at getting rid of the water at the alcohol percentages I mentioned, like from 20 to 80%, and then you can drive off the water just with boiling temperature heat. You only need a solar oven of 220, 240, 250 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's so easy to make a solar oven that works on heat that low. But so just to be not, clear, when you talk about doing that solar heating, that's not for the distillation process. That's oh. you're using these, these chemicals to pull the water and it's just to dry them back out so you can use them again. Yeah. Notice I said no distilling. There, there is no distilling. And now, I've not done the full math on this. Um, I've not perfected it 100%. I've done it. Me doing it on a lab bench is a different thing than you doing it. It's just kind of like an interesting side thing to tell you about. Uh, don't wait for this because it's going to take me quite some time to do it. And then it takes me time to prove it. It takes me even longer to document it. And then it might only be applicable on a small or medium scale. It might not be good on a large scale because you'd have to have a square mile of area to you know dry dry your stuff out with uh it's just kind of like an interesting aside thing that i came across that i've been working on uh, if you want to start with alcohol today and you want to get working on it get the still at uh i make my gas.com uh, go watch the video first it's at the top of the page you'll start playing right away it'll show you me doing everything, everything I talked about, everything you'll have to do, you'll see it in pictures and audio, and it'll leave no question in your mind that, oh, yeah, this is something that I can do. And like I, I, I say, this is our gateway drug to alcohol fuel. This is what gets you started. This is what gets you going saying, yeah, I can do this. I've done this. I've run the 5K marathon. I'm going to do a 10K marathon. You know, I've done it in a one-gallon distiller. Okay, next thing I'm going to do, I want a five-gallon distiller. I want a 25-gallon distiller. Or, okay, I've done it with sugar, which is more expensive than gasoline, but I've done it, and it works. And I didn't drink it. I resisted resisted the temptation. (laughs) Um, On the zeolite, real quick, my question with that is about, so let's say I'm sitting there with a half a gallon out of my, my, my uh, my distilled spirit, and I need to get that up, you know, get that excess water out of there and get it to close to 100%. How much zeolite do I use? Is it like basically filled up with zeolite? Is there a handful in the bottom? How much does it take to do the job? About half to a third of the amount. The real answer is if you got 90% alcohol by volume, and all alcohol is measured by volume, not by weight, 
then 10% of your volume is going to be um, the water. So sure. if you got one liter, that means 10 mil. Um, if you got a thousand milliliters, that means a hundred milliliters is going to be water. Hundred milliliters is a hundred grams. Zeolite absorbs 20% of its of its weight in water. So you got a hundred grams of water that needs to be absorbed. It means you use 500 grams of zeolite. So for something for about a quart of 90%, you would use just over a pound of zeolite 3A is the answer in English terms. So then we can, then we can bake that to recharge it basically to drive the water out of it and use it again and again and again and again. Over and 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 over. It, it is pretty rugged stuff because it's, it's, it's baked into a ceramic and that's done at 1800 degrees. So it's really a stable thing. Just don't go crushing it, stepping on it, pounding it with a hammer, you know, throwing <laughs> it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And people are going to be able to get that stuff from you pretty soon? Yes. I have found an excellent supplier of Zeolite 3A. I get it right from the manufacturer. I'm testing two different versions of their Zeolite right now, and the one that wins is the one that I'm going to sell to you. It'll be available on imakemygas.com. I'll be talking to about it on the next show, and I'm going to sell it to you at a better price than is available anywhere on the net right now because right now they are raping you on the price of Zeolite 3A, and I'll I'll probably be selling it for around $6 a pound. There's places that sell it for 10 and 12 and $20 a pound. We're going to do it at about 6 and it's going to be the best stuff guaranteed and you know shipped to you directly by priority mail. We're going to buy it in bulk so we maintain the quality over it and we make sure it's airtight. You can't leave your Zeolite 3A out in the atmosphere because it'll absorb the humidity in the air. So everything will be shipped to you in a, a super plastic bag. And coming from us, you'll know that it's already doesn't hasn't absorbed moisture. Because people told me, I've used zeolite and it didn't work. Well, how did it get shipped to you? Oh, you left it out overnight before you used it. Open to the air? Uh-uh. That was your problem right there. Sure. It, it, it hydrated itself out of the atmospheric moisture. So uh, Yeah, it, it hydrated itself out of the atmosphere. And uh, zeolite, zeolite 3A releases heat when it absorbs water. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of neat in the world of solar. You can take zeolite 3A and you can put it into, um, put it into a pair of containers where you've got zeolite 3A on one side and you've got water on the other side. And, what, and you pull a vacuum on it. The water will evaporate off of the water side, which cools the water because it's, it's energy leaving. And it goes to the zeolite 3A side, and it makes heat. That's so very with, interesting. <laughs> so with zeolite 3A, you can, make, you can make yourself a solar air conditioner and a solar heat storage system at the same time. That's Look, very interesting. If, you, if, you, if, if you're 18 years old and you don't know what to go into, go into chemistry. And go into organic chemistry especially. It's a world of fascination. It, there's endless possibilities. I mean, there, there is stuff that I was doing, what I talked about with mixing in with the alcohol, that's not been documented. I actually had to find some of the documentation that I wanted to like answer one question. 
I had to go get a thesis from Caltech from 1923, and I had to call them and ask them to scan it in and send it to me. And the best thing on this one area of the one thing that I did was written in a paper in 1923 in Caltech, okay? And he didn't have a fraction of what I had, okay? I have a scale that weighs down to 0.01 grams that cost me four bucks, okay? I mean, he had a very complicated balance beam in, in a booth with uh, sliding glass doors to keep air currents from disturbing it, just trying to measure his densities. I could wow. measure temperature, temperature instantaneously. You know, I, I had much better things available to me, and I found that all the errors that he did because he was working in a 1923 chemistry lab in Caltech with the windows open, probably in the heat, that I could do better in my lab, and I took those things and improved upon them. But I'm just trying to say, that by far, that this was inorganic chemistry, which is the, the periodic table of elements. There have been so many things that have not been done in, in, in inorganic chemistry, let alone organic chemistry, which is with carbons, and it's just the number of chemicals is in the millions. It's a fascinating world. It's it's stuff that you can do. You can do original work. You can make original material. You can make original inventions. The sciences, the chemistries, the physics, um, even higher end mathematics—they're all fascinating areas to go into. They all make will make great careers for you. And just listen to the excitement about for me with what I do. And I'm never bored, never, never bored with what I'm doing. So if anyone listening is wondering about what, do we want to go into political science or join the Occupy Wall Street people or, um, do I want to go study differential equations in organic chemistry? Okay. It's differential equations in organic chemistry. That'll make you a man. Awesome. And I'll tell you the thing that you've got me really interested now with this whole heat exchange with zeolite, but I'm not going to go there. We've kind of wrapped the show up at this point. Yeah. That, that has my mind going through like 500 different things right now that could be done with that. Anyway, though, the I make my gas.com, you still have the same offer available to people that you, uh, that you did last time you were on. You want to refresh people to what, what is available there as far as like the get started package? Yeah, Jack. Uh, I, 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 hang on a second. I, uh, I, I love your audience so much that I forget to mention the stuff that I'm selling. <laughs> uh, I make my gas.com. I make my gas.com. I got the tabletop still on there and you can get it with a measurement kit, which is a flask and a hydrometer. So you can measure the percentage of uh, alcohol. A hydrometer is just a floating weighted scale. It's a glass tube. You drop it in and it bobs up like a fish bobber does. Only it has a scale on it that says you got 40% alcohol or you got 80% alcohol. And uh, I have it up there with the book, Alcohol Can Be a Gas. The Alcohol Can Be a Gas DVD and my book, Sunshine the Dollars. And you can get everything. You can get the still, the measurement kit, Alcohol Can Be a Gas book, which is a five-pound, $47 book on its own. The three-hour DVD, I'll throw in Sunshine the Dollars for nothing. I'll throw in shipping in the USA for nothing, and it's $314.97. And that's cheaper than the smallest column still you would ever go get, and you're off to the races and ready to go. We did have a couple questions, and one I'd like you to address here as we wrap up about your still. People said it looks a lot like something you used to make distilled water. Yours has actually been modified, though, right? 
Yes, it is directly. This is not a homebrew collusion, okay? It's not something. It's not. It looks like a water distiller. It's nothing that we changed to be a water distiller. It's something that the manufacturer changed at the manufacturing plant to be an alcohol distiller because there are vents in a water distiller to let anything volatile escape off the top before the water condenses. So those holes don't exist, those vent holes to let any VOCs or anything volatile off, like perfumes, um, come off of it. Plus, the water distiller runs about a kilowatt of electricity, which is way too much energy to pour into a still of this size. So the heating element has been cut down to 320 watts. So the still we're selling might look exactly like a water distiller still that's normally sold out there on the market. However, it is an alcohol still. It is designed expressly for alcohol although you could use it to distill water with it if you wanted to. But, no, it is not a water still. It is an alcohol still, awesome. right, from the, right from the manufacturer. Awesome, and I'll be firing mine up here in the next week or so, and I'll let everybody know uh, what, what uh, Jack's capable of distilling up here and see if we can't come up with uh, some, some new stuff. Anyway, man, I uh, appreciate you being here again on the show. It's, uh, it's always great to have you on. I think you are now officially the record holder for the most appearances on Survival Podcast, and uh, I'd like to have you back for many more times. I love it. I mean, it's a hoot. It's a ball. I love talking to you. I can't wait to see what your audience writes to me back. I mean, they send me pictures and stuff like, I got this, I did this, and, you know, here's my solar heater I made from free glass I got from your book, Sunshine the Dollars, and it's blowing hot air into my living room right now. It's like, I just do the same thing. It's like, I don't believe people do the stuff we write about. It continually amazes me, and it thrills me to no end, so... I mean, it's a hoot. I love it. Your audience is the best, and I'll come back on as many times as you guys will have me. I'll always try to bring the enthusiasm and something new and different and, you know, pump them up and give them stuff they can really use and get going with. This is what I do. Awesome, man. Well, you're great at it. Again, thanks for being on the show with us today. Folks, again, the website is imakemygas.com. Uh, get by there. I'll have links to all of Stephen's sites and everything that we talked about today. And solar1234.com. We'll have all the show notes as well. Absolutely. So uh, get on by the site. And uh, just like last time, man, start throwing questions at us. If we get enough questions, we'll be bring Steve back on to answer them. Or you know, who knows? I mean, with some of the work you're doing, I think we might have you back just to talk about what you do with Zeolite. <laughs> it is going to be wintertime. It's solar heating season. Yeah. And nothing pays for itself. And a solar air heater can pay for itself in days. Absolutely. Absolutely. I concur. Well, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. 